2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, for that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The word of the Lord. We get to continue our series uh, entitled Church Alive, looking at those ways that we can be nourished and encouraged in our faith to remain vital as a church congregation and vital as followers of Jesus, seeking to serve him in the various roles and calls that God has given uh, to us. So this morning we're in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 18. You can find it up on the screen and in the insert in your bulletin. And we're going to look at the ways we can be nourished and encouraged uh, in, in, in and through God's word and his empowerment so that we do not grow weary or lose heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in, the bo- in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to, the death, for, to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we may be wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is God's word for us. A few weeks ago, I was getting ready for our hosting of our Presbytery gathering. We hosted our region of churches and the pastors and leaders from those churches here at Sierra Press, and uh, it was super fun to have them here. They loved our property. They felt like, hey, I get to go to like a retreat center every day. This is a, a beautiful environment. And as I was preparing to, 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 to understand or discern what God wanted me to preach at a worship service that we had a couple of Thursdays ago, I thought about reprising a message that I preached to you uh, on Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 24, a message that I preached in our Foundations of Faith series. And my goal there initially was to encourage them, to encourage their people to get back together, to gather and worship and in times of fellowship after the diaspora that was COVID. But as I was preparing to preach that message... God revealed to me that he had different plans and a different point of focus. Because if those pastors and church leaders were going to extend that call to the people they serve to get back together for worship and for fellowship, something else needed to happen first. They need to be encouraged to not give up or to lose heart. And so I started that message, the three words that I start with this message. Don't give up up. And if we're not going to give up, if we're not going to lose heart, we have to allow God to to speak into our hearts and our lives and attend to our heart. Because what I have found in 
my past experience as a competitive distance runner or in my, the grief and loss that I faced after my daughter passed away in 2004 or in the 22 years of pastoral ministry is this. You don't maintain focus and you don't you know, uh, continue on just by trying harder and stealing yourself up. You stay focused and encouraged by allowing God to address your heart because there's a strong temptation to lose heart and to give up. And it seems to be increasing and increasing in our day and age. And that's not just about my call to ministry, though I'm concerned for fellow pastors. It's about the calling that God has given us to serve in various ways and to be vital in those areas of service and to not lose heart wherever we are called. For pastors, the statistics are startling. A recent statistic said only 10% of pastors retire as a pastor. AK, 90% of pastors give up at some point and choose to do something else. But that isn't just true of pastors and the challenges pastoral leaders face. That's true of every one of us where we might be prone to give up or to give in. Where jobs, marriages, our faith, family relationships, or sadly, people giving up on life itself and taking their own lives. So when we face this pressure and we feel prone to potentially give up or lose heart, how does this passage that we're looking at speak into those realities personally and corporately? Well, for Paul, he had been deeply hurt by some false accusations that were given by some false teachers who had come into the church at Corinth after he had left. But instead of abandoning his ministry or cutting his ties with the Corinthians, as a lesser person may have done, many people crumble in the face of adversity. Paul instead, in the midst of that pressure and challenge, it allowed it to stir him up and enable him to have a greater focus as this letter is evidenced. And in his defense, he points to God's mercy and his ministry and his message as primary ways he can stay active in faith and not lose heart. So the first point of this message, and there's going to be seven, is that a church can remain alive and not lose heart as a result of God's call. And in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul talks about God's call to mercy. The calling that Paul has is first and foremost about the mercy and grace of God. That's what enables us to hear God's call into relationship. That there is a throne of grace in heaven and Jesus is on it. And if we've welcomed him into our heart and our life, if we've heard his call to a relationship with him, we don't have anything to fear and we don't have to lose heart in this life because we, are, we know we are called to receive God's mercy and grace and one day that's going to be the fullness of our experience when we go to be with God in heaven. That Jesus has called us and he's paved the way for us to hear that calling through his mercy and his grace. And as a result of understanding this gospel of grace, we don't have to lose heart. It appears that Paul's opponents, those who had, there, there were those who were accusing him of becoming demoralized or apathetic in his ministry. But what Paul tells us is that God's mercy and grace can sustain us. And when God commissions his servants, not just Paul, but us all, because we are all called to be servants and to have a ministry for him, He supplies us with the strength necessary for us to persevere and face hardships and even persecution, perhaps, without giving up. 
And this isn't, again, about just having grit. It's about allowing the grace and mercy of God to sustain you. And to know that when God calls you, he doesn't, you know, take away that calling. God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. So if he's called you to be a mom, don't give me any of this like, well, when they're 20, whatever, my job is done. I know that's not going to be true as a dad. The job changes. You know, the work order changes perhaps in a different season. But I'm in it to win it as a dad. I'm in it to win it as a, in, my, in my marriage of almost 28 years. Those callings are, are given and, they, and they're not taken away. God sustains us in that call, and he gives us the perseverance we need to sustain us in those areas of ministry, so that when times of discouragement come in your job, or in your marriage, or in your parenting, we can know and trust that while we might have a temptation to give up, God can sustain us, and that we can celebrate along with Paul, so that since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And that calling to ministry, uh, to, to receive God's mercy and grace and to minister to other people, to serve God's purposes, is primarily about sharing the good news, setting forth the word of God plainly, helping people to see who Jesus is and see what the word of God would point us to and how God has given us everything necessary to sustain us in a journey of faith through this message. And I love the different people in Scripture who God calls to ministry and to share a message because many of them completely blew it at at certain times. You think about Peter. He's fishing in the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes beside him and says, you know, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He He transitions Peter's calling from fishing for fish to fishing for men. But we know that on the night that Jesus was on trial and the night he was betrayed before he died, Peter denied Jesus three times. It's like Peter was on trial as Jesus was on trial. And Peter failed. He fell short of identifying with Jesus and proclaiming Jesus. When asked, hey, surely you were with him, he didn't say, yes, I was with him. I'm one of his followers and I am not ashamed. No, instead he completely caved. Inside, I don't even know that man. But did God give up on him in his call on Peter's life? No. In John 21, Jesus, in resurrected form, again by the Sea of Galilee, in that same space place that he had called Peter the first time, comes beside the, the sea and he sees Peter and his friends fishing and he says, friends, have you caught anything? And no, we've been at this all night. I'm kind of, hey, try the other side. And there's this great catch of fish and Peter knows that it's Jesus come back to life in resurrected form. But it wasn't that just that Jesus came to life, back to life. He wanted to resuscitate Peter's life and faith and ministry. And so there by the Sea of Galilee, he says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And, and again, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And, and Jesus says, tend my flock, care for those people that I've left, you know, that I'm calling you to serve. And one more time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Again, asking him three times, relate, mirroring the three-time renunciation that Peter had. And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Take care of my little ones. 
Jesus' call for Peter, God's call for us, can sustain us in those times when we're weary and tired and we're prone to lose heart. And he doesn't give up on us. He recalls us after times that we blow it. And he rekindles the flame when it feels like it's gone just to embers. And he reignites us through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit to fulfill God's call. Again, this isn't just about pastors. I see teachers out there. I know you're tired and weary. I see those that in various vocations, it just seems to become harder and harder. And yet God's call will sustain us and keep us active and vital in those spaces and places that he's called us to through the power of his Holy Spirit. We don't have to lose heart. Second point, a church can remain alive and not lose heart by remaining true to God's word. Paul says we are to renounce secret and shameful ways and not use deception and not distort the word of God. Again, it appears that Peter's opponents were questioning him. Excuse me, Paul's opponents were questioning him and saying, ah, oh, he's, he's using tricks. He's, he's, he's using secret or shameful ways. He's deceiving you. And it's likely that they were saying this about him related to the law of Moses. Essentially, there are those saying, yeah, this Jesus guy, you know, he might have added something, but you still have to fulfill the law. You're not getting out of this yet. And what Paul is saying is, no, there's now this gospel of grace and mercy. I'm not deceiving you. I'm, I'm letting you know that you no longer need to fulfill the law on your own. Jesus has done it for you. And there is very good news. Paul would have been distorting the word of God if he had held back from declaring the fullness of the, the revelation of Jesus and his grace and his mercy. Paul knew that he had been given this gospel and he was called to declare the truth of that gospel and to not burden people with the ongoing implications of the law in terms of people needing to fulfill it to be able to receive God and go to heaven one day. And you know, there's nothing that can dishearten us more than the accusations of people that we set out to help. I mean, some of these people were people that Paul had invested in. But now they're saying he had adulterated the message of the gospel and that his motives were being misinterpreted. And, and basically, they were misconstruing his words and twisting out of their, um, their real meaning. And the comfort that he had wanted to give and the encouragement that he was wanting to give the people at Corinth, he was being attacked for. Sometimes when in the midst of fulfilling God's call for us, people will try to derail us. People will say, ah, you're not using the right methods to get there. And, and what we need to do in those times when our, our methods of, of parenting and working and, and, and loving our spouses, whatever, being questioned, anything like that, we have to hold true to the word of God and believe that that is our rock and our foundation. We had a new members class yesterday. And we talked about sola scriptura, this scripture alone is our only authoritative guide for all matters of faith and of, and of practice. And if we, if we hold true to God's word, all of it, it will sustain us in a journey of faith and life with Christ. We can't give up on it. When we hosted Presbytery uh, you know, a week and a half ago, people were wondering, about a sword that was up front. The people who were leading the meeting had a big table and there's a big sword up front. And people that hadn't been in our presbytery, our grouping of churches, wondered, what the heck is the deal with the sword? I mean, it's kind of strange you got a big sword up front at a meeting. It's like, you know, is this guy going to come and start swinging at people he doesn't like? What's going on up there? 
And so they had one of my friends, Sean, come up and share the story of the sword. And the story of the sword is that whenever a church came into the evangelical Presbyterian church, and they had kind of fought battles to get there, transitioning from our previous denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, and moving into the evangelical Presbyterian church, they wanted to encourage the people and the pastors by saying, you no longer need to fight those battles. You can now lay down your sword because we have your back and we want you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ unequivocally. And so our church made that transition into, in 2010. But when I was called here in 2012, I was given one of these swords with, again, the message, you don't have to fight the battles you had to fight before. You here are welcomed in love. We've got your back. And we want you to preach the truth of God's word without equivocation. We want you to be bold. And for the last 10 years, that's what I've been trying to do. And every time I look at the sword, it's a reminder to go and to preach and to share the good news and to not give up on the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to not deceive anyone or hold back from the truth of God's word, but to be open and honest and authentic that it is the only way to salvation and our only authoritative guide for all matters of faith and practice. Amen? Third point. A church can remain alive and not lose heart when we are aware of what's happening in the world in the spiritual realm. It's kind of a long one. But here, Paul says, the gospel was veiled to those who are perishing. And the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, somebody might read this and say, well, what are we talking about? And immediately I think of Dana Carvey's uh, church lady character from Saturday Night Live. And people are like, what do you mean? This, there's some, you know, evil in this world that work in this world. And Dana Carvey would just say, you mean Satan? Satan is alive and active in this world. And if we deceive ourselves in thinking that he doesn't want to take us out in our marriages and in our callings, in the, in the places and spaces God wants us to be, we are being deceived. And C.S. Lewis had a great description in Screwtape Letters where he said, you know, there's two equal and opposite errors. The one is to make more of Satan, like, oh man, there's this evil personage and we don't stand a chance against him. No. We know the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, has already died on the cross for our sins and been risen from the dead. He has victory and he will bring ultimate victory. We do not need to fear Satan in that way. But equally, we need to be aware that Satan is at work in this world, seeking to trip us up and confuse us and distort the word of God. Otherwise, we might be blindsided by him. Satan would love to take you out in your marriage. Satan would love to take you out and deceive you from staying, uh, you know, focused as a parent. And sadly, I do see pastors just becoming tired and weary and stepping out of their calling in droves. And it scares me. And I, we, all of us need to be aware that Satan is at work in this world and in the spiritual realm seeking to distort the word of God. And the revolt of humanity against God was ultimately a revolt of Satan. As an angel of light, he became an angel of darkness and led a revolt against God in the heavenlies before that then spilled out on earth. And he's still at work trying to defeat God's you know, angels and defeat God's people and distort our view and 
lead us into places of moral failure, distraction even. If we are going to remain alive and not lose heart, we need to be aware of what's happening in the world and in the spiritual realm. Because it's not going to get easier and we're going to have to stand firmer and firmer against Satan's temptations and and attempts to destroy us or distract us personally and as a church. We don't have to fear though. When we're aware of what's happening, we can stand firm and live out the life and the calling God has given us and the strength that he's given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Point number four. A church can remain alive and not lose heart if we remain focused on our purpose. Paul talks about preaching Jesus and serving for Jesus' sake and ultimately shining the light of Christ and the light of Christ being shown through him. Paul knew and remained living and active and did not lose heart because he knew that his primary calling was to be a herald, somebody who proclaimed this uh, announcement that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords had set foot on this earth and had brought his kingdom, the kingdom of God, here to bear on earth. And that kingdom is ultimately going to be victorious. And we just need to hold out and hold on and continue to proclaim that good news. And Paul clearly, when he talks about you know, preaching Jesus and serving for Jesus' sake and allowing the light of Christ to shine through him, is clearly pointing back to his own encounter with God and with Jesus. Paul, who had been named Saul, had, had letters in hand and was ready to persecute the church of Jesus Christ in Damascus and was on the road to Damascus to do just that. And we're told in Acts that there was a great light that shone down from heaven, the, the brightest reflection, and, and the sun just shone and, and knocked him off his feet. And Jesus spoke from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go because I've got a job for you to do. And ever after, Paul remained true to the essence of the gospel that Jesus is Lord and God, and the one who once lived in Palestine and was crucified had risen from the grave and had Paul's ultimate allegiance. And Paul would not give his allegiance to a pagan god or emperor except insofar as he knew, because he knew Jesus is Lord and God, and that Paul was now called to serve Jesus' purposes for the rest of his life. If we remain true to our primary purpose, of sharing the good news and witnessing to other people, which is our primary purpose as a church, we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. We'll remain living and active. And Hebrews tells us the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. We're not talking about a physical sword, but a spiritual sword that is the word of God. And we re- when we remain true to our primary calling to proclaim it, we will stand up and stand firm in the midst of adversity. Is this going to be easy? No. And point number five is this. A church can remain alive and not lose heart if they deal with difficult dynamics. Paul's life was not easy. No way. He faced persecution, challenge at every city and place that he went to. But I love the way he has a fourfold recognition of the difficult dynamics he faced. He said, I was hard-pressed, but not crushed. I was perplexed, confused, but not in despair. I was persecuted, 
but I wasn't abandoned by God. God never left me. I was struck down, but never destroyed. Paul, in those times when life and ministry became most difficult, held on to the truth of God's word and the presence of the Holy Spirit and his sustaining call that much more strongly. And if you look at church history, it was really those who were facing persecution or even martyrdom for their faith in Jesus that seemed to draw closest to God in those times. People singing in prison when they're about to be killed for no other reason that they had experienced the presence of God in that place and they encountered him and they knew they were not alone in that prison. Just like Paul knew he was not alone in that prison. Paul says he was hard-pressed on every side. It's like he's being scrunched in by his circumstances. Think of the Star Wars trash compactor. They're being pressed in and they think they're going to die. And you may feel like you're being pressed in by various circumstances and you don't think you're going to be able to hold out. Paul said, I was hard-pressed, but I wasn't crushed. You may feel perplexed and confused right now. Your pastor shares that same perplexion or confusion. It's hard to understand circumstances around us, why God's allowing certain things to happen. But we don't need to be in despair because we know who's on the throne of heaven. We may feel persecuted, people making false accusations towards us, people mistreating you in various circumstances or situations, but we can also know that God will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you through thick and thin. You will not be abandoned by him. And finally, you may feel struck down. You may feel like you've been knocked to the ground. But by the grace of God, you can remain living and active and vital. And you do not need to lose heart. And you will not ultimately be permanently grounded if you trust in the grace and mercy of God to get you back up. He did that for somebody like Peter after he denied him three times. And if you read the book of Acts, there are points where Paul was uh, persecuted. He was stoned to death. And at one point, he's left outside a city, and they think that he's dead. And his, and, his, and his fellow travelers gather around him, and they think Paul's dead. And then he, he comes back to consciousness in our day and age. I, I, you know, I, I'm sure that uh, he had a serious concussion here. <laughs> you know, and now we, you know, if they did concussion, protocols it was like uh he's in trouble i mean you know he looked like he was dead and then paul came too and did he run away from the city no he went right back to into the city to proclaim jesus there and friends there are times in life where we all get knocked down and and we don't know if we're going to have the strength to get back up again and re-engage And guess what? In and of yourself, in your own humanity and frailty, you don't. And I don't. But in and through the empowerment of God, like Paul, you can get back up and go back in and re-engage in your calling as a mom or dad or as a husband or a wife or as a pastor or as a missionary or wherever you are, wherever God is calling you to serve. He can revitalize you and he can lead you in a place where you don't lose heart and you don't become weary and you don't give up. Uh, You know I take pride in my kids and God's work in their life. Uh, I love my boys and, and I love the various lessons that I see them learning through different experiences. One of those took place uh, a while back in the fall. Uh, Josh was running a race in Chico at, at Bidwell Park, 
And this was a big day for him. Most of our family lives in Chico. They go to school there and they stay in Chico. It's a beautiful place to live. I get it. And Josh is running this race at Bidwell Park. He's got about 15 family members there. And there's about 80 kids in this race. And Josh's closest friend in high school is also named Josh. So we call them the Griff and the Tiff for Josh Griffin and Josh Tiffany. Well, that day, Josh Tiffany, Tiff is running. And he basically accidentally trips my Josh, Josh Griffin. And he just goes down. And he hits the ground. And for about 10 seconds, maybe, give or take a few, Josh is in exactly last place of these 80 kids. And he's on the ground. And then I watched him get back up. And he started passing people. And at one point, I'm like, well, you know, maybe he finished halfway through this after, you know, somewhere 40th or something like that if he really does well. And all of a sudden, in this blind corner, I see him coming around this corner. And Josh had actually gotten back up and passed everybody up, and he, he won that race. And in our lives, friends, there are times when we have been knocked down and we are ready to give up. Like, there is no way I can do this. I do not have it in me. And I just want to remind you that you don't have it you know, in you outwardly and physically, but remember who is in you and allow him to do it through you. And the image Paul gives us here is of, of clay jars. And he says, we are like jars of clay. But the image here is of a treasure being inside. And in Jesus' day and age, people would often put what they most treasured in clay jars because it looks like, oh, this is just this ordinary jar. There can't be anything of value there. Well, that's where they would put the good stuff because outwardly it looks like nothing. But inwardly, what they most treasured was inside. And guess what? You and I are jars of clay like Paul. Outwardly, we might be wasting away. We might feel tired and weary as a pastor, parent, spouse, coworker. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day because of who is in us and how we treasure him. Sixth point. A church can remain alive and not lose heart if we relate to Jesus' life and death. Paul talks about outwardly, I, I carry the death of Jesus with me. In other words, Paul was identifying with Jesus' death because he knew that was the way to experience and identify with his life. And much like somebody might wear a cross today and identify with Jesus' death, Paul was saying, I carry around the death of Jesus with me. I'm showing that I'm identified with Jesus' death, but all so that he might experience the life of Jesus revealed in his body. God strengthening him and enabling him to continue on. And this is why Protestants, our stream of Christianity, wear crosses where Jesus isn't on there anymore. Because it's not just that we identify with his death and he's still there on the cross. It's because we believe that he's been risen from the dead and he's no longer there. And we identify with his death in order that we might experience his life. Last point, number seven. A church can remain alive and not lose heart if we celebrate what God has done. It's the same spirit of faith that enables us to believe and speak as enabled Paul to believe and speak. And here's the real deal. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us also. The Holy Spirit that rose Jesus up from the grave, vindicated him so that he's alive and well in heaven now, is in you, and he is the one that will complete the good work that God began in you, not just for you, so that it, rather, but so that it would benefit others, 
so that the grace we experience would reach more and more people and cause more and more thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You see, this isn't just about our remaining alive and vital and active in our faith and our not losing heart. It's when we receive the encouragement of the presence of God, remember our calling, importance of the word of God, our primary calling, that even when we're strained and stressed, that God can enable us to stand firm and, and work through those experiences. When we do that, everybody around us is encouraged. I saw two guys after the first service, Nate and Charles, and I just said, you guys have been serving God throughout your lives and your marriages and in your callings, and I draw strength from seeing you do that. We draw strength from one another when we fulfill our mutual callings in the various forms that takes. And when we do, we can experience the fulfillment of the end of this passage that says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, though inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles and challenges. So we fix our eyes on on Jesus and not, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, in the midst of the times when we feel our lives and our vitality of faith wasting away, we feel prone to lose heart, we don't have to because we know and trust that God is doing immeasurably more than all we might ask or imagine according to his power that's within us and within his church. And God is going to accomplish his purposes, church. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And we can trust and know our foundation in Christ will hold true and will hold out if we rest in him and if we trust in him. Friends, things are not easy right now. They're not easier for us personally. They're not easy as a church, not easy societally or in our world. But the good news is that we can remain alive and we don't have to lose heart because the one who is in us is greater than what's going on in the world. And the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us also so that one day he will raise us also. But even now, he's going to sustain us in this journey of faith with the Amen. Let's sing. When all I see is the battle You see my victory